You know, even if you are so severely rhythmically challenged that the foot stomp hand clap was an impossibility, we can use you for other things. Amen? So get involved. All hands on deck. Matthew chapter 5. Turn there with me this morning in your Bibles. Uh, Going to be starting at verse 27 here as we preach our way through this chapter. Jesus' Sermon on the Mountain. Uh, so many powerful things. We've taken the time to uh, go verse by verse here and just illuminate the text so that we can extract every principle and every challenge that Jesus has for us here. We realize he's talking to multitudes and uh, they're there mostly for the show. And uh, in these weeks ahead, some of the topics that he covers really ratchet up the level of uh, the demand they put on us as believers. And I'm sure those multitudes sitting in the crowd at some points were uh, thinking, you know, this is a little bit strong. Uh, first service was praying for you guys in second service that you would be able to survive this morning. Well, let's thank God for the word, and we're going to jump into what Jesus said starting in verse 27. Father, I thank you for the word this morning. I thank you uh, for the precious Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, thank you for orchestrating worship and allowing us to enter into the Holy of Holies. Continue to open the word up to us, Holy Spirit, and drive it deep in our hearts today. Father, I pray that we would come as teachable, pliable children, Lord, and that we would accept your word and your principles. And Father, even if they're hard and they seem like impossible to apply, Father, I pray that we would be willing to let ourselves be shaped and molded by your word, that each of us would leave here changed in our hearts, in our minds, in our thought life, that we would not leave the way we came. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus speaking to the multitudes in Matthew chapter 5, he says this, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of your body parts, of one of the parts of your body, than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Jesus saying some powerful things here. You have heard it said. And what, what is it that you shall not commit adultery? And again, he starts off speaking to multitudes. The crowd was there to see what the show was going to be. Yet he speaks to them in parables in many ways. He cloaks the pearls of God's kingdom uh, for those who have the right heart to dig for them. But he says to them, you have heard it said. And again, he starts from a, a place of common knowledge. And you're going to hear Jesus say that over and over again as he closes out this chapter. You have heard it said. You have heard it said. Why does he start there? Because he wants us to start from a common foundation. And the foundation is this. We, the topic he's about to cover, we've heard it said and we understand it. You know, well, why can he say that? Because everyone in the crowd there, immersed in that culture, knew the Ten Commandments. They knew the law. But even if they didn't know the Ten Commandments, and we're going to be talking about a topic this morning that that is a clear violation of the seventh commandment. Even if they didn't know the commandments, every one of us has a conscience on the inside of us that we know when we're doing something wrong, the Spirit of God convicts us. 
Even a total heathen who's never heard about Jesus, who's never heard one line of scripture, knows when they murder, when they steal, when they lie, when they kill, when, when they commit adultery, that it is wrong because it violates the conscience that God put in all of his creation. And so he, you've heard it said, he said before. Now, what have we heard, Jesus? What, what is the common ground here? That it's absolutely wrong for us to commit adultery. If you believe that, say Amen. So the seventh commandment is really clear, Exodus 20, 14. Now, as I begin, even in the introduction here of, of the first service, I, I begin to see people wilting and dying. It's going to be all right this morning, but Jesus has some things to say to us that should shake us to the core. So get ready, but we're going to survive because greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Greater is the Holy Spirit in us than our flesh and all the desires and all the tricks and traps of the enemy. So it's going to be okay, but Exodus 20, 14 is crystal clear. In fact, it's one of those topics that leave zero wiggle room in it. Do you notice the more words there are, the more people like to twist them and get around them, whether it's the Bible or the Constitution or what somebody said, the more words that are involved, the easier people find a way to twist it and get around it. Yet the seventh commandment, it leaves zero wiggle room here. It's short. You shall not commit adultery. There's no but. There's no if. There's only in special circumstances. There are only if, the, you know, if it doesn't work out the way you... If they, listen, it is so clear. It is so plain that there's no way around it. You shall not commit adultery. So we all know that. It's a matter of conscience. It's a matter of the Ten Commandments. It's something that's common sense to all of us. Now, you might want to say, if the Bible says we shouldn't do something, how many think we should know what it is? Four people? Don't tell me. I don't want to know. Ignorance is bliss. No, it's not bliss because God will still judge us according to conscience. So if, if, if we're not supposed to do something, God wants to make it very clear to us what we're not supposed to do. Could you imagine if you got a job and you went in and they said, we're going to hire you. Here's your starting salary. Here's your start date. There are four things that you can do in this company that if you do them, you're instantly fired. But we're not going to tell you what they are. Good luck. A boss would never do that. Policy and procedure make it all clear. It's written down. Usually to be accountable for it, you have to sign it. I understand. God makes it really clear about these things that are deal breakers for us, that are soul wreckers for us, that things that can keep you out of heaven. He makes it real clear that adultery is wrong. So what does the Bible define adultery to be? In its simplest form, the most simplistic definition that we could muster, adultery is the breaking of the marital covenant by having sexual intercourse course with someone other than your marital partner real clear everybody got that the same four people <laughs> this goes easier if you talk back to me so it's real simple that it's the breaking of the marital covenant. I want you to understand that when, when adultery takes place, the marital covenant is broken. Why? Because when you are married, the two become one. And you, when you consummate that marriage through intercourse, you actually bond yourself physically and spiritually in a way that God says, once I put you together, he says, no man put it asunder. So, you know, next week, God willing, if we survive this, we're going to get to talk about divorce. It's going to be great. But adultery precedes 
this topic, and he wants us to understand that it is the breaking of the marital covenant by going outside of that partnership sexually and, and connecting with some other person in an illicit way. Now, adultery differs from fornication in that fornication is sexual intercourse between unmarried people, no less a sin, a sin that is uh, defined as something that there again, as we look at 1 Corinthians 6, that you know will keep people out of heaven. Now, nobody likes to talk about this but keep people out of heaven don't we all get a trophy don't all dogs go to heaven don't isn't everybody a winner nobody loses jesus never taught that and so be very careful what our culture forces us to believe sometimes i think we've westernized our christianity to the point where it becomes biblically inaccurate be careful that we don't dismiss the words of jesus because of culture. So fornication is different. It's no less a sin, but it makes a differentiation there. Now, in the case that you're sitting there and you're going, well, thank God, I'm not married this morning, so I can check out right now. This is not for me. You know, hit the snooze button and just kind of just let's, you know, skate through this message. Do not do that. Many Bible teachers have made the case that adultery applies to all sexual immorality as an umbrella. And everything underneath it falls into the category. Why? Because the only proper place that God gave us to express our sexuality was in the bonds of marriage. I didn't say in the bondage of marriage. Listen close. In the bonds of marriage. I know what some people hear. But that's the only place. So any sexual expression outside of the umbrella of marriage is illicit. It constitutes immorality. And adultery is, uh, you know, something that would umbrella that. So nobody gets to check out this morning. In fact, as we talk about this, it gets rougher and rougher. I wish I had a video camera pointing this way. Because I had to deal with this all week. You only have to survive 35 minutes. So you can't check out on me this morning. Unlawful sexual practices, uh, things outside of marriage uh, that God doesn't approve of uh, constitute adultery. So here are three scriptures that highlight the spiritual destructiveness of adultery. And I want you to understand, God doesn't give us these drives and then give us rules so he can torment us or drive us crazy or make us frustrated. He, he gives us these rules as creator because he knows if we do these things, we're going to bring destruction upon ourselves, upon our spouse upon our children, upon our communities. Come on, someone make some noise because adultery never produces anything good. So it is destructive. And here's three scriptures that prove it. Proverbs 6, uh, 27 through 29. Can a man take fire in his bosom? Ladies, don't get excited. Can a woman take fire into her bosom? And his clothes, her clothes, not be burned. This applies to both genders. So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife or husband. Whoever touches him or her will not go unpunished. Let me just read that flat out without inserting the genders in there. Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? You play with fire, you're going to get burned. So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Wow. Hebrews 13, 4, some New Testament. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers, notice the distinction there, both sin, but here's the result. Fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. 
So the marital bed is the place for sexual expression. But anything outside of that is fornication or adultery, and God will judge it. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Here, neither fornicators nor idolaters, nor adulterers shall inherit the kingdom of God. So the word is really clear. This is a serious topic. (laughs) And judging by the silence in here, we are already preemptively anxious because we know where this is going and we know how Jesus is going to make this applicable to all of us in just a moment here. But it, it is a serious topic. We know that it's, uh, it's prohibited, the commandments, our conscience. We know the destruction it brings. And the Old Testament law was very clear, and we all know it. Yet once again, we see Jesus raising the bar here and changing things. And he, he, he does this, and you might think, why in the world did he have to do this? It was difficult enough. I'm going to keep referring to this point because it's the underlying message of these points that he's making. He does this. He raises the bar and just... Just a minute, I'll read you verse 28 to remind you. But he does this uh, to reinforce the underlying point that we cannot approach moral issues legalistically and at the same time enjoy the grace of God and salvation. And here's what I mean about that. Well, you know, you know, I can look and I can think and I can flirt and I can touch and I can taste, but I, I just can't cross this line. If I cross that line, then, it, then it's adultery, then it's sin, then it's immorality. But I can get right up to the line and tap dance on the line. And Jesus is saying, no, it's not this cerebral thing. It's a matter of the heart. And God always looks at the heart. And you and I can't enjoy grace and at the same time be legalistic with our moral issues. If we do that, it constitutes us being the greatest of hypocrites. Grace in this area, liberty of the Old Testament. It's like, you know, I want mercy from everybody. But when you mess with me, it's eye for an eye, baby. Think about that. That's hypocritical. If I want grace, I got to give grace. If I want mercy, I got to give mercy. Just going to enjoy some silence. (laughs) I know that this is a tough topic, and like I said, I've wrestled with it all week in the sense of presenting it in a way that will help us to avoid the snares and the pitfalls. The Old Testament's clear. The underlining point is clear. We are, gonna, we are New Testament Christians under grace. We can't approach our, moralistic, our moral issues legalistically. Matthew 5, 28, Jesus blows the issue of adultery wide open for us. No longer it is crossing a specific line, but it is now a matter of the heart. He says, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus says, if you look to lust in God's sight, it's already adultery. Now there again, this is not gender specific. Yeah, I can't even say it. You know what I mean? Specific. It's for both genders. Amen. You know, ladies don't get a pass on this one. You know, uh, I can, you know, I know that men and women are wired differently, but we are both given sexual drives, amen. You know, my wife sees Tom Selleck's mustache and she can't even pronounce my name anymore. All the ladies think that's funny, but if I make a supermodel comment, so we'll continue here, understanding that this applies to both of us. And if you study this issue, look, I've been doing pastoral counseling for almost 30 years now, and I've seen everything you could think of come across my desk. 
And I'll tell you what, it's not gender specific. The enemy's an equal opportunity deceiver. And he'll use husband or wife to destroy relationships. So, you know, Matthew 5.28, if you look with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart, in God's sight. Now, it, this is, you know, it, it's not about, you, you can't be tried in court for this. You can't, you, you can't put it on your spouse. You know, you, you, you looked at that picture and I think, you know, I want a divorce now. But in God's sight, he's saying, you crossed the line with me. And in the final analysis, we answer to him. And he always looks at the heart. He looks at a woman with lust for it. Now, our culture says, looking, what's the big deal? I mean, are you kidding me? Looking, you know, looking is free. Looking hurts nobody. Looking, you know, looking at whatever you want. Looking is definitely a dangerous thing. And here, I'll tell you why. Our culture says, you can look, but don't touch. And Jesus says, you're absolutely wrong. Our culture says, well, I can look at the menu. I just can't order anything. Have you heard these stupid things before? Come on. And Jesus says that's absolutely wrong. If you look to lust, you've committed adultery in your heart already. Wow. Now it's quiet. Why? Because the bar just got raised and all of us who are intellectually honest are guilty. Because none of us have always looked purely at everything and anything in there. And all of us stand guilty. Now Jesus raises the bar so high that all of us are guilty. And all of us have to reckon our hearts before God. Now, looking with the purpose of lusting is wrong, and the big deal about looking with lust in your heart is this. The eye is the window of the soul, and everything we look at feeds our thought life. Please hear what I'm saying today. The eye is the window of the soul, so what your eye sees, you drink right into your soul. And then your thought life is filled with the things you've seen. Sexual purity becomes impossible if we look for the purpose of lusting. Why? Because not only does the looking in and of itself become sin, but our thought life becomes so polluted by things that will lead us into further bondage that it's only a matter of time that we act out in our bodies what we've rehearsed in our minds. Now, you're not going to hear this everywhere. This isn't sanitized for public consumption. This is raw meat this morning. But it'll save your soul if you hear what Jesus is saying. To look to lust will pollute your thought life. Once your thought life is thoroughly polluted, you'll fixate on things that lead you into further bondage. And eventually, here's a newsflash, you'll act out the, the very sin that you've rehearsed over and over in your mind. I've sat with so many people. I don't know how we got here. I don't know how I could have possibly done this. David himself broke his heart, committed adultery, committed murder. How did I get here? We get there an inch at a time, a step at a time, one compromise at a time, one look at a time. Have you ever wondered why advertisers try to use sex to sell every product known to man? Come on, I'm just, I'm just speaking honestly in church here today. My wife and I were watching TV one time, and there was a gum commercial on. Gum. And it was like there was so much sexualization in there selling gum. There was people, you know, and I don't even know if I want to describe it to you, but I'm like, what, what product is being sold here? And it was gum. And they'll use, 
sex to sell everything from household appliances to candy to gum to cars to perfume. Hello, come on. Come on, this is the world we live in. And it's like if you have eyes, the minute you step out there, your eyes are bombarded, slammed. Did you ever wonder why? That's the way. Have you ever wondered why our culture so aggressively tries to mainstream every lewd sexual practice? Things that we wouldn't even talk about in public 50 years ago, now they want to jam it down the, the, the culture's throat and say, you need to accept it in all its graphic lewdness and say, you know, if you don't accept it, you're the problem. There's something wrong with you. Have you ever wondered why? Our culture is so aggressive about that. Have you ever wondered why pornography is so easily accessible, wildly popular, and available for free? Do you ever wonder why people see it as a career to make fistfuls of money, both men and women, who willingly give themselves over to it? Did you ever wonder why marital infidelity and divorce is so commonplace in our society and in our churches, it doesn't even faze us anymore? I'll tell you the answer to all of those rhetorical questions, and here it is. Because the enemy of our soul, the devil, has systematically and skillfully exploited mankind's universal weakness towards sexual immorality. Our flesh is weak in this area, and the devil knows it. And he is a master at tricking us and deceiving us and snaring us because he knows that if he can snare us, he can drag us to hell. And it's difficult for people to get out of these sins it is quiet now and that's okay because adultery destroys souls and it destroys marriages and it destroys families and God hates it and he loves us so much he doesn't want to see any of us deceived and dragged into it so while looking to lust may constitute adultery and the Old Testament, you literally had to do the act. In the Old Testament, the, the, the mind wasn't brought into it. The intent wasn't brought into it. The heart wasn't brought into it. Jesus already says, no, that's over. This is the new standard. And the newsflash is we've got to allow God to purify our hearts before we begin to act out in our flesh the things we've rehearsed in our minds. Our thought life is so important to God what we fill our minds with. And you say, well, how do I feel with the eye? What we see, all these things, we drink them in. Our thought life needs to be pure before God. Now, I want to speak to married people this morning. I just showed the universality of this sin and how adultery is an umbrella over all sexual immorality. Whether you're, you know, you're married or you're not, God has requirements for us to be pure in his sight in this area. But married people, I want to say something to you. God has given you every tool you need to avoid the snare of adultery and sexual immorality and he's given you it in the gift of each other i want some more amens let me see i'll try and read that in a different language god has given you the tools it takes to avoid adultery and sexual immorality and he's given you those tools in the gift of each other you the two become one. Listen, I, I've done a lot of weddings, and I say stuff at weddings, and I'm just not saying stuff because it's traditional or flowery. I'm saying because it's biblically accurate. God makes the two one flesh. You're on the same team. Why is it that we don't help each other to remain pure, and yet we war against one another in the marital realm? Let me look at a scripture with you here this morning. You might want to fasten your seatbelts and put your trays in the upright position. 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 5. But because of immoralities, 
Each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. Think about that for a second. Paul, speaking to the church, the fledgling church, he's saying it's an immoral world we live in. We, we are covered with flesh. We have desires and appetites in our flesh. And so if you want to avoid immorality, you should have your own wife or your own husband, and you should have a, a, a marital a place. The marital bed is undefiled. And listen to me, you have a place for sex sexual expression. Can I say something to Full Gospel Center and our generation and our nation and whoever else is listening? If you want to have sex, get married. <laughs> and if you're thinking, I wish I would have stayed home this morning, I'm glad you're here. Young people are sold just a, a, a lie that, you know, you can't get married till you're like, you know, 35 and ready to move out of your parents' basement. You need a master's degree and you need $100,000 in the bank and you need to pay off your school loans. And I said this the first service, so I'll say it again. That's a bunch of crap, okay? Listen to me. That's a lie from the pit of hell because nobody's keeping themselves sexually pure until they move out of mommy's basement. But they're being told, oh, you can't, you know, you can't, you have to have, really. So we're going to sacrifice our morality and our purity and our virginity to our, you know, to our pocketbook and, and to our future. I was married at 23 years old and my wife was 20. I had to fool her early or she would have never married me. We've been married, it'll be 28 years. And I have it in writing that she still likes me. So our society just lies to young people. Oh no, you can't do that. You're, you're, I mean, it's just a lie. When you find a godly person that you're, that when I, look, when I saw her, I knew. And, and, and when, you, when you see that person, you're going to know, yeah, don't be afraid to do what's biblically right to preserve your purity. It says because of immoralities, let each one have his own wife or his own husband. Now listen to this. The husband must fulfill his duty. Say duty. The husband must fulfill his duty to the wife. And all the wives are like, that's right. That's Amen. And I have a list of duties. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Hang on, ladies. And likewise, also the wife to her husband. <laughs> Remember, this is a team sport here. Listen, it gets better. Oh, if you're a feminist here today, feel free to scream out loud. <laughs> the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. There again, when the preacher's up here saying, and the two shall be one flesh, and you're to have and to hold, all these things, they're not just flowery words. They're, they're an exhibition of what's happening in the, in the spiritual realm. The two are becoming one. So I don't have power over my own body. I belong to my wife, and vice versa. I said in first service, I should get a shirt that says, property of Kim. And you say, well, that, you know, that's demeaning. That's the no, it's not. She's my better half. We're one. You see, but the macho meathead mentality and feminism has so perverted our culture that even as I stand here and share things that are perfectly biblical, if we're honest, some of them sound like a little bit like, who does he think? You know, <laughs> I didn't see any head cocking like this. Before. <laughs> but you just you got to understand that just incites me. 
<laughs> but we belong to each other. So God has given us the gift of each other so we would avoid immorality. It gets even better. You thought I was done. Verse 5, stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There it is right there. If we don't do our duty and we maintain authority over ourselves, it's mine, I'm not, I'm not you know, I don't like the way you talk to me. I don't like, you gained four or five pounds. You, you don't have as much hair as you did when I married you. And then all of a sudden we deprive one another... He says, what? The devil's going to get you because of your lack of self-control, because you're covered in that flesh suit. And you know what? If you deprive one another, I, I like what the King James says, defrauding one another. Wow. If this is uncomfortable for you today, good. Because I'm for marriages, and I'm tired of divorce, and I'm tired of adultery. <laughs> These points you know, serve to remind us uh, about our duty and our authority and, you know, not depriving one another that, you know, there's something more happening in the marital realm than the world understands and Christians should understand this. I want to say one thing before I close this point out. The husband that starves his wife emotionally, relationally, and sexually and drives her into a situation where adultery becomes possible will not stand blameless before the Lord. Husbands, do your duty. Be a man. Put that remote down. Get off the couch. Help her. Love her. Listen to her stories. <laughs> because there's so many women who are emotionally starved for affection and companionship that they get driven into situations where other men prey on them and get them to do things they didn't want to do in the first place. I'm telling the truth in church. Listen. The wife that starves her husband for attention and affection and support, who weaponizes sex to manipulate or punish him, will not stand blameless before the Lord. If you starve him and create a vacuum in him, you will answer to God for it. Oh, it was all him. It's never all him, and it's never all her. I've been doing this for 30 years. Stop defrauding each other. Stop denying one another. Remember, it reminds me of a story of a husband that came into the bedroom one night just before bed and he had a big silver tray with a glass of water on it and a little dish and the wife took the dish and said, what's this? He said, it's aspirin. She said, I don't have a headache. He said, gotcha. That's funny, I don't care who you are. Same team, do your duty. Stop defrauding one another. Welcome to Full Gospel Center. <laughs> this, all of this stuff points to the fact that as Christians, we've got to restrain our flesh and we've got to bring our bodies into subjection to Christ. Listen to Romans 6.12. Therefore, do not let sin. Paul talking to us here, he's saying, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting, the King James says, yielding your members or your body as sin as instruments to unrighteousness but yield yourself to God as one who's alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God for sin shall not have dominion over you for you are not under the law but under grace you see our bodies are not our own they belong to the Lord and if we're married they belong to our spouse 
We're third in line. It calls for restraint. It calls for us to bring our flesh into subjection to Christ. Wow. Perhaps the most shocking part of Jesus' counsel here in these verses is his recommendation to literally cut off offending parts. And the way that he says these things here, I don't know, they are almost shocking to the point where they'll cause us pause. Now, as he talks about, you know, if your eye makes you stumble, what does that mean? That means if we can't restrain ourselves from looking at things that fill our mind with garbage, then it would be better for us to, you know, pluck that eye out than to give ourselves over to lust. Cut it off. Wow. And then he says, if your hand makes you stumble, what does that mean? If we, if we touch things and go after things uh, to possess things that fill our mind with polluted things and cause us to sin, it would be better for us to cut that hand off unless, you know, we stumble and, and wind up destroying our souls. So, you know, what he's saying here, pluck an eye out, cut a hand off. I mean, think about the graphic nature of that. And uh, there again, it gets really quiet. Why? Because it's hard for us to, to wrap our minds around these things until we understand, oh, we're supposed to restrain our flesh. We're supposed to bring our bodies into subjection to Christ. We're not supposed to yield our members to unrighteousness. See, then, then it makes a little more sense. But, you know, when he's saying cut off the offending part, could you imagine if we applied that scripture literally, what our church gatherings would look at like? Stumps and eye patches everywhere. <laughs> Think about that. You know, it's like, well, some people have two eye patches. Well, I plucked the one out and that didn't help, so the other one had to go. So obviously, God is not asking us to do self-mutilation here. But he is making a point that we, you know, we should be very serious about avoiding sin to the point that we're willing to, you know, cut off the thing that causes us to sin rather than to allow it to destroy us. You know, Jesus, he goes on and, you know, he, he goes on and he throws some things in here. He says, you know, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into where? Say it like you mean it. Okay. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into. Jesus does it. He brings up the, 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 the subject of hell. The subject nobody wants to talk about. The subject that preachers don't preach message on. But yet Jesus spoke about money in hell more than almost any other topic. Because if you love one and you don't love God, and you won't keep yourself uh, you know, from walking in the flesh, there's a good chance you're going to wind up there. Hell is a real place. It's for people who reject Jesus Christ and go their own way. And Jesus is warning, you know, he's saying here that at the end of sexual immorality, at the end of an adulterous lifestyle, at the end of a life of fornication that our world celebrates so much. You know, our world is so ridiculous. They, they discourage people from getting married. Just hop from one bed to the next, from one relationship to the next. Just have sex with whoever you want. And, you know, at the end of that, what is there? There's eternal damnation. It's a lie. It's a trick. 
we're to restrain ourselves. We're not to yield our members to, to unrighteousness. We're to bring ourselves into subjection to Christ. Jesus says, cut it off. Now, Jesus' counsel only makes sense when we view it in light of the contrast he's making. He says, it's better to cut it off, what? Than to have your whole body be cast into hell. See, there's the contrast. Now it makes sense. Now we get it. He's trying to get us to see the seriousness of this topic. That if we give ourselves license to look at things and we don't restrain ourselves and we give ourselves over to pornography or immorality or fornication or stepping out on our spouse, that at the end of that, there's an eternal reckoning that is going to take place. At least we repent. Cut it off, he says. Because it would be better. You know what I think? Most of us who are uh, biblically, uh, you know, we understand eternity and we have, you know, a biblical idea of what it is, would agree with that topic. If, you know, I would rather lose an eye than spend eternity in hell. I'd rather lose a hand than spend one minute in that lake of fire. Because this body is temporary, yet eternity is forever. Eternity is a long time to be wrong about Jesus. Eternity is a long time to say that, you know, that pleasure that lasted me just a short time was worth it. I guarantee if we could interview people in hell, none of them would say what they did was worth it. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. It was a place not designed for man, but for the fallen angels. And God doesn't want any of us to go there. Yet Jesus says we need to be this serious about sin or that we would rather cut off a part of our temporal body than sacrifice our eternal soul. And we need to get the point today. It's all about us embracing restraint in light of eternity. Always remember, there is no temporary pleasure in this life. There is no pleasure that adultery could ever provide that will be worth your eternal soul. It's a lie. It's a trick. It's smoke and mirrors. And don't think for an instant out there, well, I'll just do it and then I'll say I'm sorry. Many people started off that way and were sucked into a world that they could never get out of. Let's bow our heads today. All of us, if we're honest today, have to do a better job policing our eyes, what we see, the movies we watch, the songs we listen to. The places we let our mind wander when we see certain things. All of us have to embrace discipline and restrain ourselves sexually because if we let our flesh have its way, it will ruin our souls. So I say to the person out there who's given themselves over to pornography, stop and let God deliver you. I say to the person out there who thinks it's okay to just sleep with whoever they want, I'm not married, I'll just fornicate. Marriage is for suckers. The devil's lying to you. Stop and let God satisfy your heart and bring you the spouse you've dreamed of. I say to the person out there who's stepping out on their marriage, who's entertaining the idea of adultery, don't do it. It's not worth it. Stop and let God soften your heart so you fall in love with the one he gave you once again. Father, we all have weaknesses in this area. To say we don't is the utmost of arrogance. So Father, help us to discipline our eyes, to fill our minds with good things that don't produce death, and help us to avoid looking to lust because the end of it, there's a price tag that's too high to pay. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.
Praise God.